with customer service, my number one question is, do the customers understand how to use the product? Because if they don't understand how to use the products, then they may think that the products don't work for them. So really understanding, you know, everything on a higher level and then present it to, to the customer in the way that, you know, they can understand or they relate to. And sometimes that's just about understanding all of these things. So that's pretty much how we're able to really understand, you know, the customer. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Today's episode is all about the sincere and noble start by which figureheads and heroes of e-commerce are made. My guest today, Kia James, began with a problem in need of solving, and from it came an organic demand from her following. I know a lot of our audience are keen on dropshipping. I sure am. I'm this close. I'm this close. What I want you to take away from this episode is that while you might not have a product you can make from scratch for your own needs, success in this space can and often does start with humble origins. There is growth waiting for you both online and, luckily we're able to learn about this today, in stores. Yeah, James, it is good to have you here in economics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, early morning start for me. It's still drilling season, so hopefully that's not going to uh, be a factor in this episode. And sorry to my recurring audience. I, I thought drilling season was over, but uh, I guess the, the, the groundhog had come out of its hole and said, no, 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 drilling season is going to last another six weeks. So we're just going to take that. I'm just going to have to roll with it. Opening question for you. One of my favorite questions, economics tradition, and I'm uh, really excited to ask this one today, is to tell us who you are and what do you do? My name is Kia James. I'm the owner and CEO of Taylor Beauty. Taylor Beauty is a premium natural hair care line um, that is safe for all ages. Uh, we use natural ingredients and our products are sold online um, through our Shopify store. We sell on Amazon.com as well as Walmart stores. And and that's definitely one thing that I want to touch on because we've we'll we'll, we'll get to it in a in a matter of moments. And what I appreciate is over the course of a lot of the people that I've talked to, for the most part, it all seems to just stay online. And I think the last person that I talked to about Walmart, um, they had mentioned, yeah, it's sold on Walmart, but it's sold online. So it, even that wasn't available in stores. So that's a breakthrough today um, for for us to, to hear about the process of how it managed to become something physical that's available in the store. So we'll get to that. Um, so one of the things that I learned about doing this is I, I go onto somebody's YouTube just to uh, learn what I can in the time that I have and get a sense of their story. And what I saw was, you know, your first wave of content. Um, it's a mix of your personal story uh, with the arrival of your child, as well as its insights into your hair care routine. And I scroll and I scroll through all the way through to the most recent videos and You've got a, you're you're doing a tour of your warehouse for your company, uh, something that I don't suppose was there from the beginning. So that's um, what I could tell. But I'd love to learn more about your evolution. So uh, give us the story about how this uh, how this started and how you got to the point that you are today. Yeah, definitely. It started on YouTube. I started. Um, uh, my natural hair journey, meaning that I stopped using chemicals in my hair and I wanted to use more natural ingredients. Um, then I had my daughter and I've started um, using over-the-counter products, but what I noticed is they had a lot of um, harsh ingredients that I just didn't feel was suitable for a baby. So I started doing research and just creating products in my kitchen. And probably after a year of creating those products and showing my audience the products online, um, I got a demand for the products. So originally we started on Etsy.com and that went really well for a year or, or two, but that was more for like a hobby based business. So at that time it was more so a hobby. I was still doing YouTube, making money on the side, selling products. But, um, I think in my second year of 
doing Etsy, that's when we did six figures. And that was before, you know, social media marketing, Facebook marketing at that time, that wasn't even heard of. So it was more so people going to YouTube to find information and they found this information. And then um, next day we'll go to our store. So once I realized, okay, this is not really a hobby. This is a business. We rebranded. Um, and that, that's when we moved over to Shopify. And from there, um, we outgrew our home, but we we were scaling and we outgrew our home. So we went from our home to, and this is my family business. This is me, my husband, um, and my mom at the time. We went from a family business to working out of a storage unit. <laughs> and we did that for a year. Um, then we moved into a smaller warehouse, about half the size of our warehouse now. Um, and today, um, now we're in a, uh, I think it's 4,000 square feet, 4,000 square feet warehouse um, where we have distribution. We still do our manufacturing in-house. Um, well, we do some of our products in-house because we tried to move them over to a manufacturer and the quality doesn't re remain consistent. And then we have manufacturers that um, do our product at mass production for us. The ones that have a little bit more simpler um, formula to recreate, we um, use a manufacturer for those. So that's kind of how we started. Um, I create all of my formulas um, from scratch and this is where we are today. I, I can't help but ask some uh, hair-related questions, just because that's you know one of the uh, the motifs of this episode. And I myself, I, I I've been obsessed with my own hair since uh, uh, since high school. It, for for me, the obsession started because I was developing a crush, and I thought, okay, well now I got to get myself, I I, I got to get my my act together. Uh, did it work? No, but you know, uh, it was it, it was the beginning of a journey that eventually paid off. Uh, and I, and I will say like, I've, I've talked about this before, but like, it takes, it takes quite a while to really like develop a, a routine for, 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 and it's not like, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm kind of vain. I am, I, I admit that, but a lot of the time it's not like I'm trying to pull off some amazing look or anything like that. I'm just trying to keep everything in order. Like I, I watched Reservoir Dogs and I saw like the way they combed their hair back and looked all slick. And I thought, that's it. That's that's the 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 epitome of the style. So I, I want to ask about the uh, about the chemicals. You know, we we live in a pretty chemical life. Like there's, it's all it's hard. It, it's escapable, but it's hard. There's chemicals in in food and processed food, uh, chemicals and not just in our hair products, but in our in our body products and deodorant. From your experience, what did you see were some of the uh, negative effects that uh, putting chemicals in the air had uh, caused in the, maybe in the short term and in the long term? Um, that's what I, once I started um, taking relaxers out of my hair, which is a chemical process for straightening your hair, once I stopped using relaxers um, and being more knowledgeable about the side effects of relaxers, that's when I noticed that they're um, linked to cancer, they're linked to fibroids, especially in African-American women. Um, you know, I've known people who went through that as well. I'm not saying that the relaxers was the cause of that, but if that's something that, you know, can stop me from even developing that, I wanted to take that out. And not not just with hair products, but um, just with everything. What, what I eat, what I drink, um, I became more conscious of those things and I eventually became a vegan. Um, so really educating myself on reading ingredients and understanding, okay, this is not a good ingredient. This is a good ingredient. This ingredient is beneficial for this. Um, and really just learning. Um, and it wasn't just, like I said, it wasn't just about hair products. It was just uh, everyday, my everyday life. I became more accustomed to doing that. So when it was time to create formulas, um, I already knew what, what ingredients was not going to go into my formulas. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know this about the industry and, um, uh, far be it from any one individual to be the nexus of information about this, but I, my my guess is is that the the haircut industry f largely leans towards a uh, synthetic product, and and then in a lot of the cases, and I remember uh, reading about this uh, with you, is that there's a lot of products that come across as natural or they say they're natural, 
but that's only because they get off on a technicality where there may be like hint of coconut in there, but for the most part, it's still basically synthetic. So it sounds to me like natural hair care products really are like the pattern interrupt and that there's not nearly as much market share towards those products, even though there should be because it sounds, yeah. And actually people are becoming more knowledgeable about that. So they're doing a little bit more research on the stuff that they put in their hair. Um, and you know, at the time when I first started my business, it wasn't as popular, but there was a niche audience for it. Um, now, you know, people don't want to use sulfates in their shampoo because they know that sulfates are linked to different cancers. They have carcinogens in them. And so, um, people are becoming more aware of that. Um, but when I first started, it was a very niche audience. Right. And yeah, I, yeah, you did. Cause you weren't viewing it as a business. You were saying it was just a hobby and it was just something that you wanted to do to uh, resolve a problem for yourself, which is something that I really want the audience to spend a moment to think about, because this is something that I've seen in, in research as well. In some of the uh, solo episodes I did at the beginning is that a lot of the businesses that really have a, uh, a place in the market and in, and in the world start from a place of genuine need. Um, an example of this that I had researched is somebody who was trying to feed her, her, her kid cookies, but she had a lot of allergies and a lot of um, restrictions. So she had to find these gluten-free cookies that her kid could eat. She, she makes them herself and then over time starts selling it to other people because the demand for that was was far more than I think a lot of these cookie companies who do the research could ever have discovered. So what were you doing uh, prior to, to this uh, in your line of work? I understand it was uh, it was in counseling. Yeah, I was a, a licensed professional counselor. Um, so I did that. I was actually, I just finished grad school when I had my daughter. My daughter's seven. So I had just finished grad school when I, I had her. So um, I specialize in counseling. And if you watch some of my older videos with her, that's a lot of what I talk about is, you know, doing a child's hair is all about a bond um, and creating a bond with your child. So, um, you know, I was showing them products, but I was also giving them some type of value as well, using my experience and using my expertise on how to communicate with your child, how to create this bond through a process of an hour or hour long process of doing hair. One thing that I tend to ask is if there were any skills or any um, uh, perspectives that had joined or came with you when you transitioned into e-commerce. Yes, even now is still a skill that I use. Um, counseling is all about solving a problem. Um, usually when somebody comes in, you know, my office, they have a problem. And my job as a counselor is not to solve the problem for them, but to give them the tools in order to be able to solve that problem. So um, a lot of our customers, one of the main issues that they have is th there's something in their Hair, hair routine that they don't understand how to do. Um, so one of the things that I decided is, okay, I can't solve everybody's problem, but we can actually, we can have a solution for the problems that they may have. So we developed a quiz on our website, uh, which is a plugin for Sh Shopify. And basically I developed the quiz based on a lot of questions that were being asked. Um, a lot of questions that were being asked on social media, emails, even meeting people in person on um, at trade shows and really just taking hours. It took me about a month to develop this quiz um, and create specific different regimens for people to um, have based on what the issue was. So let's say I was a counselor, your job as a client would be to go home and do the homework that I give you. So in this case, the regimen is the homework. The regimen is you being provided with the tools and putting that into your everyday life so that it could be successful for you. Yeah. And I think what it does too, is that it puts the customer in, in the right place for them to then know what product they need. Because if the product is somewhat of a mystery to them, or sorry, if the problem is somewhat of a mystery to them, then they're not going to quite know what the solution is. And so they end up buying something that doesn't really help. And, it, and, and, they, and they're left with a negative view of the product because it didn't solve the problem because they didn't even know what the problem is. And I will say too, by the way, I was trying to fill this, this quiz out. Um, I, I, I didn't go all the way just because it, it, 
for for the for the purposes of time, it had asked me to uh, to, to to write out um, an answer, and I said, okay, well, okay, okay, hang on, I'm just I'm just researching here. I, this, this this is a long story, uh, and also I should have stopped when it asked me what porosity is because I don't even know what what porosity is. If you don't mind, me, I mean, we could all look it up on Google, but I I like to hear your expertise on it. Um, porosity is basically how well your hair holds moisture. So there's three types of porosity. There's high porosity, low porosity, and normal porosity um, hair. And just depending on how well your hair holds moisture, that determines your porosity levels and what type of products um, you should use. So for example, if your hair is high porosity, you may not want to use heavy um, you may not want to use heavy products on your hair because your hair absorbs moisture very well. All right, I, I'm going to ask you one more follow-up question for this, and then I'll put us back on uh, back on track. As like uh, as the audience understands, I'm a, I am a bit of a hair guy, so I don't even know how to know if my hair holds moisture or not. Like I, I I'm I'm not sure. Like I I don't know how to exactly quantify that. Like does it? Do I have to like run my hand through my hair and feel how long the dampness lasts for? Well, there's two ways that people determine that. Well, that I know of right now, everything's always changing in the natural hair community. So tomorrow might be some, something different. But what I know of right now is there's two ways. If your hair, if you go in the shower and your hair immediately absorbs water, um, then that's a way that you can determine your porosity, how your hair, dis how your hair um, absorbs water. Another way is a strand test where you just find either find a strand of hair laying around or uh, cut a strand off your hair. And if it floats or sinks, that will determine your porosity as well. Oh, okay. I, I might have to try that. So I, I want to get back to the product development because, uh, uh, again, it's it, it bears repeating that this was something that you had needed personally, you had developed it personally in your kitchen, and now it's you know it's available on shelves at Walmart. What I want to know about is not just with that product, but throughout the different product line, is um, if your development um, process had remained consistent with each. Uh, subsequent product that you had worked on, or if with the additional expertise and additional resources, if your development phase had uh, had changed? That's a good question. That's a really good question. There's not really a yes or no to that question because um, it does remain consistent, but it has changed at the same time. So it's remained consistent because the, the same quality and standards of ingredients um, that I use in the products is very consistent. Um, so, uh, for example, like we spoke about using um, products that don't contain harmful ingredients. That's always going to be consistent with my company, as well as products that are safe for all ages because we are a family brand. That's always going to be consistent. Um, with our company. Now, what has changed is that I realized in order to uh, go into the retail space, I'm not a chemist. <laughs> I can create products all day long, but at the end of the day, I'm not a chemist. So I had to, um, one of the things that we I first did when I first started making products in my um, kitchen was I would do my own stability test. And the stability test basically is how long does your product remain stable without going rancid? And I would do these stability tests where I would create a product, I would leave up in a cabinet for up to a year sometimes. And if it didn't mold, then that means that the product remains stable based on how I created it. Um, but um, and working and, you know, meeting manufacturers, I was able to connect with the chemist. So have a develop these formulas, um, develop these ideas and um, bring them to a chemist in order for them to, you know, do the scientific work on making sure everything remains stable and also making sure that it meets the quality standards for retail. Um, because had I been doing this, you know, Years ago, when I first started doing putting it in a you know cabinet, it wouldn't. It's not going to cut it. Um, so to answer your question, 
everything remains consistent, but it's all about making sure that we provide a very safe product um, that, you know, is not going to go bad or nothing's going to happen from using this product. And, you know, sometimes we see that with a lot of hobby-based businesses is that they have really, really great formulas, um, but the shelf life is, you know, the shelf life doesn't last a long time. So making sure that it has a long shelf life is really important to me. I, I can understand that. I mean, I, 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 I can imagine that with uh, synthetic uh, product is that they can also get away with using more preservatives so that it does uh, last longer. Whereas, I mean, what would be what would be the natural equivalent of a preservative? A natural equivalent of a preservative, there are natural preservatives. So there's um, synthetic preservatives that are harmful, but there are also natural preservatives. Like one of the ones that we widely use is called Optifin. Um, it's a natural preservative that we use in a lot of our products um, that's you know very safe and very natural. So I'm going to ask you about um, one other product in your in your line, just so that I can get a picture of the difference between the first product and your most recent product. So um, as much as you're willing to reveal, right, we don't want to hear all the secrets, but well, actually, I do want to hear all the secrets, but I don't blame you for not saying them, is can you tell us about the development of whatever it is that's your most recent product? Let me think, what is my most recent product? Or like, I don't know, within the ballpark, like it doesn't have to be like the, the very last one, fast to finish line, but just to compare the difference between how the first one came about versus the most recent ones. All right, so we have two different lines within our products. We have the Ultimate Collection. That was the one that I first developed that we see on YouTube and, you know, we see in the early stages of our business. Then we have another line of products called the Ultimate Collection. And they were both developed the same way. Um, but, you know, once I started learning more about my consumer, um, I had to understand how can I develop products that my consumers need um, and that my consumers want and what exactly is the demand right now for the type of products that they need. Um, so that's a little bit, you know, different because at the beginning I was using ingredients like coconut oil, castor oil, um, you know, more common oils, but I realized that medicinal ingredients, which I was at, at, at one time, I was a little bit afraid to get into that market um, because they were a little too old. That's, a, that's really, 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 really natural for me. Um, but I realized after playing around with them, these are some great ingredients that have really, really, really great benefits. And I think that our customers would really love and appreciate these products. So some of the things that have changed is really making sure that we always keep the customer in mind because when I had a when I had a hobby, it was more so about what I wanted and what I could sell based on what I wanted. And as our business grew, we had to understand what the customer wants and how we can develop those products for the customer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I'm gonna add that to my queue because I do want to talk about just how you interact with customers. So that's in queue. Um, the next one that I want to know about is, is scaling. So just to understand like kind of like where economics comes from, I, that is the first time I said economics. That's okay. I'm going to want to keep track of that. That's okay. So where our show comes from is uh, scaling is an important uh, element to this because there is some upfront cost, And then we, we want to, you know, this would, we do have to spend money on our Facebook advertisements, um, but we want to uh, use that those initial ads so we can understand who our consumers are and then and then scale. And that's when it, it all makes it worthwhile. Now, I'm thinking that there is a challenge between scaling products with uh, natural ingredients versus scaling products with synthetic ingredients, because I imagine synthetic ingredients are easier to uh, make at scale. So you did touch about, uh, on this um, at the beginning, and just, you know, what's in-house versus what's uh, what's manufactured. So uh, what was the, what were some of the challenges or uh, obstacles that you had faced in trying to scale uh, products with, um, with, a, with a line of natural ingredients? Or if, actually, I, another way of saying it is, was there a challenge or would it have been about the same if you had just sold, I don't know, Yeah, it was very it's very challenging because um, when you when you have a really natural product, it costs a lot of money to make. 
So that's the first challenge is being able to mass produce a product and still being able to have a customer who can afford to buy the product because you don't want to go into mass production and they've already been accustomed to paying one price point and now they have to pay a totally different price point um, because you've decided to go into mass production. So the biggest challenge was really finding the right manufacturer who did not want to skimp on any of the ingredients that we wanted. Um, and so the biggest challenge was actually finding a manufacturer who would keep our formulas consistent. I think we went through about, we went, we test, we tested up several manufacturers before we found our number one manufacturer who really not only did they, um, you know, understand how important it was for us to have those ingredients consistent with the product, but really knowing my chemist and showing my chemist, okay, this is the exact pro process of how I make my products. When we do it in mass production, it still has to be made the same exact way with the same exact machines, the same exact ingredients. And sometimes manufacturers don't want to do that because they work with other companies and it's easy to create a base formula. And that's just something that we weren't willing to compromise on. We wanted the quality um, to remain consistent. And that was definitely the biggest challenge. Yeah, I, I will say it. It, it, it's somewhat of a relief to know that you had a manufacturers that you could reach out to because I, I can see it being intimidating to, oh, no, do I have to set up my own factory? Do I have to manufacture all these myself? Is my, is my house going to turn into like an Acme? Uh, uh, it did yeah. at one point. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was like, yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, we still manufacture two of our products in-house. Um, one of our products that we match manufacture in-house is our everything butter. Um, so we have all the standards for manufacturing that. And then we have another product, um, which is our clay detox soap that is also manufactured in in-house. And that was really important to me when I got this warehouse is to actually have a dedicated production room just to be able to manufacture those products because those products are really, really, really difficult to make at, at a mass production. Mm -hmm. um, so we made the decision to continue to keep those um, products in-house for the lifetime of our company. Okay, uh, last one about that. But uh, how how has the meeting demand been? It's better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's better. Um, it's better. Um, twenty twenty was very difficult. It was very challenging because of the pandemic. But that was our, you know, that that year is when our business really scaled. We in twenty twenty we made more in our business that year than we had made in the lifetime of our company. Um, prior prior to that. So you think that, oh, well, um, a pandemic would, you know, hurt someone's business. It actually did the opposite for ours because um, people wanted to know how to do their hair at home because they did no longer wanted to go to a shop to go get their hair done. So now you have people who are really um, interested in doing it. Then our Facebook ads took off, our Everything just took off that year. But the biggest challenge was that a lot of our components, like our jars, our tops, were made overseas. Mm -hmm. And so this there was a, a shortage across our industry where, you know, even our competitors didn't have any jars or tops. So that left us with a limited amount of products that we could sell. So we had to be really creative in how we were selling those products and making sure we met the customer's demand. Um, but even with, you know, sometimes even half of our products in stock, we still were able, we, we scaled tremendously with that. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't, uh, it didn't occur to me, I should have, because it's probably quite, uh, quite obvious, but not only would, would your company run into a roadblock with the uh, contain containers, but so was everybody else, because I, I I couldn't name a company off the top of my head that would have been manufacturing uh, all of that yeah, here uh, here in in the West. So that that's that's a valid observation. All right. So the Walmart question. I've been waiting for this one because I I am I'm eager to know how 
Uh, and again, it's it's up to you how much you want to reveal. If there's any secrets you want to keep to yourself. It's all good. But at what point did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? And how did uh, what, what did you have to go through? Paperwork you had to sign? Whatever it is you're willing to tell us. I'd love to know. Yeah, so Walmart, um, and I'm very transparent about my journey as an entrepreneur. Uh, if you watch my YouTube channel, Kia J, you'll see like I am very transparent about that. Um, so it, it it took a long time. I will say that it wasn't something that just happened overnight. And Walmart said, hey, I want your products. It did not happen like that. Um, and it's something that we had to know that we were ready for when you're when you're um selling to a big box distributor your company has to be in a financial situation in order to do that um as well as you have to be able to um place the maintain those purchase orders that they do for you so i would say you know if you don't have a warehouse you don't have manufacturing you don't have all of those things you're not even in a situation to sell in big box stores um and amazon.com was our practice for big box stores um because a lot of those a lot of stuff that you go through on amazon is i want to say it's similar but it prepares you for that process so um we actually pitched to walmart twice um the first time we pitched to walmart um it didn't work out um, and they gave us some really, really good feedback. So with the feedback that they provided us with, um, we used the feedback and we took the feedback and we, it helped us, it helped develop us as better, um, business people. Um, and if I think back at that time, um, would, would I have been successful? Probably not. I probably would have been in the store, but I don't know if I could have stayed in the store, which is two different things. Um, because when you, when you're not no longer in a store, there's a lot of challenges that come with that because you have to buy back your products at full price. So sometimes when people go into big box stores, they end up going out of business. Um, so the first time they did educate me on a process, I learned a lot. Um, and I pitched to sev several retailers as well. And uh, at that time, we actually was in another store um, called Navy Exchange, which is um, it's, it's a base store. And we learned a lot during that process. Um, so the second time around when we did pitch, they're like, hey, you know, we love your brand. We think your brand would be perfect for our store. Um, we want to do it. And, you know, it is scary to be in a big box store um, because there's so much that comes with it as well. Your staff increases, um, your purchase orders with your manufacturer increases. And so um, you have to be ready for that as well as all of the marketing efforts that come with it. So it was a challenge. It took, it took a long time, but I would say that um, to anybody who is thinking about being in a, a, a retailer, like really focus on growing your business and making sure that, you know, you can meet the demands of being a scalable online business before you even think about retail, um, if that's the route that you want to go. There's a couple of like sub questions that um, uh, uh, that occurred to me. Um, one of them is uh, specifically about what feedback that they had, had given you. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the feedback that they gave me is more so like, on how the product looks. I'm trying to figure out how I can give an example of this. Um, do you ever go on a shelf and something just looks so great you wanna buy it? Or the text is so large you, you can read it? It was just little things like that that really helped us to um, actually make the product look better in order to, to um, be more appealing to the customer. I think that was like our number one feedback as well as, you know, how different is this product from your competitors, which is, I mean, anybody's going to give you that advice, whether it's Walmart or anyone else, is what makes your product different, what makes your product stand out, and really being able to develop 
um, develop that story as well. Um, because if you look at, you know, two of the same products with the same ingredients, there's a reason why somebody wants one product as opposed to another product. So really being able to stand out on a shelf with your products. Right. Because shopping um, in, in person is, is a highly visual experience. And uh, as, as somebody who does go through the hair care aisle, uh, I, what, I, what I notice is that over time, I can identify brands just from the color profile from a distance. Um, and, and I can visually, and I can see in my mind some of the ones that I buy. Now, granted, I am kind of blanking on the names of them. <laughs> uh, I, I remember the name of my deodorant, but I can't remember the name of the, uh, of the conditioner that I use. So I'm going to have to work on that. But what, what I can understand is products are, are, are tightly compacted. You know, they're, they're trying to make as much use of the space as possible while also not turning it into a, um, a chaotic jungle of a shopping experience. So for that reason, color profile, uh, your primary color, your secondary color, uh, what font. If, even if I couldn't like read the letter exactly depending on my distance, knowing the color that they use for the letters actually moves it quite a uh, quite a ways so that that all that all, uh, that all makes a great deal of sense the, the other thing that i that i'm wondering too is just about you know within your own uh trajectory is if you what vision you had for where you wanted to go because i think deciding on what stores you want to uh, sell in does convey a lot about the brand i will say that like if something isn't a walmart it does convey uh, mass market appeal because walmarts are you know even here here in canada we got we got plenty of them too um, whereas I think if you had a vision, um, more for, what was the other name of the store? The, the other one that you were selling in? Um, Navy exchange. Would that be more of a boutique store or is that more, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that one. Cause I think that's a U.S. only one. Well, it's actually a military only store. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Uh, so, yeah. So basically I, and, um, the, the buyer for that store was really interested in selling our products at the Navy exchange. And basically Navy exchange is if you ever go to like a base, there's like a store on base where they sell, you know, it's basically like a little Walmart, a mini Walmart for the people who's on base. And so I think we were in over a hundred Navy exchange stores, but not just Navy exchange stores here in the U.S. Um, in other countries as well. Did I imagine my products to be a Navy exchange from the very beginning of our company? No. Did I think it was a good decision to make for my company? Yes, because um, because as I learned, my competitors are in that store. Um, my consumers shop there. Um, Navy Exchange is a store where if if you you know have access to an army base, it's not it's the whole family is shopping at that store. Right. Okay. Um, so it became, once I became knowledgeable about what it was and how it could really help my business, um, and it wasn't going to cut my prices or anything like that, I decided that it was a great opportunity for our business. It's a good thing you said the family too. I, I, I sort of figured that out, but at first I thought, why are the people in the military shopping for hair care? I thought everybody cuts their hair. <laughs> okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, and then I don't, I don't know, maybe you're, you're selling something that uh, is good for the, uh, the, uh, for the bald heads, something like a, like a scalp, uh, a scalp, I don't know, moisturizer, something like in the military or you're a family member of the military. You can go to the store and shop and it's tax free. One more about this, just cause, uh, I, I just wanted to take this opportunity to ask, but did the families live in on the, on, on the barracks or, because I would imagine that the, like, the soldier might not be close to his own home. To be honest, I'm not sure. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Some... I don't know much about the military, but I do know I do know from our customers who were excited. Like, I know one of our customers have went to Hawaii, but she shopped at the base store in Hawaii. She went on base and shopped in Hawaii. So um, from my, I, I don't think they live on the base. Okay, no, but yeah. I don't want to be incorrect about the information. Okay, no, no worries. Yeah, that that, that was that was a stretch, I admit. Uh, and I do know somebody who was a former Marine, so I'll just uh, I'll just talk to him about it. Okay, so I want to uh, ask about uh, your your consumer research methods um, because you've been very connected with your. Uh, uh, well, at first they weren't buyers, but 
you know, eventually they became your, your customers and you've been connected with them for a long time. And, and I, and I think that's really important because it, it, it lays out this foundation of trust and these people that you know that are, are there to support you and you're there to support them. Um, so at the place that you are now, um, what do you do to find out your customers' needs? Um, Facebook uh, posts, you do your survey. I know about I know about that one, but what else do you do? Right now, my business has changed so much that, you know, at the beginning, I could communicate with my customers. I could respond to comments. I could do, do all of those things. Um, right now, um, we do have somebody who just solely... Um, does customer service. So that really helps um, when we're having team meetings. Um, our customer service person is in our marketing meetings, for example, because even though customer service and marketing are two different things, marketing has to know what customer service needs. Um, and I need to know what the customers want. Um, another thing that I do, I haven't been able to do this because of the pandemic, um, but we do a lot of trade shows and I try to be present at every single trade show that we have. Um, we do in the past, we were doing about seven to 10 trade shows a year. So it wasn't just, you know, talking to somebody behind the phone or talking to somebody at a screen, it was like talking to people in person and really understanding, you know, touching their hair, feeling their hair, you know, them telling me what their issue was. Um, and of course, the quiz is a, a, a huge, huge, huge one um, that we use to understand, you know, what our customers' issues are, because there's a there's one question on a quiz that says, um, what is what problems are you having with your hair? It's an open-ended sentence. You can use one word. You can use 500 words. We want to know what problems you're having with your hair. And um, with customer service, my number one question is, Are the customers? do the customers understand how to use the products? Um, because if they don't understand how to use the products, then the products, they may think that the products don't work for them. Um, so, you know, when we integrate all of those things, not only are we understanding the customer, but we're meeting the customer where they are because we're producing content that actually shows the customer, okay, you want this type of hairstyle. These, this is the regimen that's right for you. Or you want, um, your hair has this problem. This is the regimen that's right for you. So really understanding, you know, everything on a higher level and then presenting it to, to the customer in the way that, you know, they you know, they can understand or they relate to. And sometimes that's just about understanding all of these things and producing contents in the form of a reel um, on Instagram. Um, so that's pretty much how we're able to really understand, you know, the customer. And at this point, I want to ask a little bit about the layout of the of the hair niche. And I'm hoping to accomplish at least one of two things. I don't think I'm going to accomplish both for each individual person. But on one hand, I imagine some people might be interested in the in the, in the hair niche anyways. Um, but on the other hand, I would also like to use this as a chance to compare how specific the hair niche can get versus how, so that people can keep in mind, well, this is the specificity of this. And then maybe this, there's a similar specificity to uh, other ones, however they choose to uh, move into their markets. I, I know that from reading it, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's curly hair, um, I think I think that's one half of it. I'm, I'm blanking on what was the the other niche that you focus on, but like, what can you tell us about the about the hair niche and how specific this really gets? It's very specific, and I'll talk about this after I answer this question. But um, it's very specific um, because there's so many different types of hair, um, and yeah. you know our our model for Taylor Beauty is. Um, what regimen works for her may not work for you. That's why, you know, our name is Taylor Beauty because our products are tailored for you. Um, so really understanding um, those different hair types is what's going to make you successful in your regimen. So there's kinky hair types, there's curly hair types, and our, there's wavy, and then there's straight. Our products are specifically for kinky and curly hair types. Um, and so there's, you know, you can be kinky or you can be curly. Your hair can be high porosity, low porosity, high porosity, nor 
low porosity, normal porosity. You can have chemically colored hair that changes your porosity. There's so many different elements to how your hair could be. But when you kind of like get all of those things and figure it out, you can actually figure out what products work for you. Um, so we're specific to kinky and curly hair types. And then everything else, we help you figure out the rest. Um, and I, and what I was going to say was, I understand why you would ask that question. Um, because when I think about my brand, I think about what I want my brand to look like 10 years from now and what mm -hmm. different, you know, do I just only want to focus on hair? Do I want to focus on beauty? And that's something that I want to focus on. Um, and I started formulating skincare products. And I realized there is so much to creating a skincare product that makes it so complicated that um, how do people do it? And I think people might look at hair products like that too. Like, how do you do it? There is so complex. So I can completely understand um, why you would even ask that question because it, it does sound very complicated. And it, it, it is, but at the same time, I also think it's encouraging because no matter how specific a person's uh, view of the world is, or how specific their taste is, there is a market that they can be an expert in. And it's funny too, because you're saying like uh, uh, skincare products and, and being Italian, uh, any skincare product would also technically have to be a hair care product because there's no surface area where it's just, uh, it's just skin. Uh, so I'm not going to dwell too much on that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with uh, with work and talking with customers, um, so the research I understand, but because you have so much, um, you have you have your responsibilities, you have your you have control over the company. Um, how do you set up your? Uh, or I guess I should ask it if you set up incentive programs, like what kind of promotions you typically run, uh, how you incentivize customers, get their emails, that kind of thing. Um, we um, because our business. Um, started online, we we rely heavily on digital marketing. Um, so we do provide our customers with incentives. Um, and in order to receive those incentives, you would have to be on a mailing list. Um, so we do use Klaviyo uh, for our mailing list. And a lot of our incentives are sent through mailing lists. Um, at one time, we did have a points program through Shopify. Um, but we realized it wasn't really converting very well. So we got rid of that. Um, and then sales, um, we, we are not a sale brand. Um, and we want our customers to know that, like, we're not a sale brand. You're not going to get a sale every week, every month. Um, we may have, I think at most we have five sales a year and that's still a lot for our company. Um, so we don't have a lot of sales, but if you are a customer, we, we do retarget our customers. So let's say a customer purchase and it's time for them to re-up on their products. Um, Clavio allows for flows to automatically um, tell those customers to come back and shop, but you get a discount that nobody else is able to receive because we don't have any sales. Um, so we definitely give incentives to our customers, to new customers, um, but we are not a sale brand. I'm not going to be able to um, completely formulate like what would be the, uh, the, the, the cost margins of it? My, 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 I, I, so I guess what I'll ask instead is, um, it, there's two, cause there's two components, how much of it is, how you, how it, it would affect your percep people's perception of you. Cause if they, if you, cause I, I like the way you're saying it, like you're not a sale brand. So if somebody has a perception that a brand will often have sales, then that does influence their behavior. So there's that. And then the other side too, is just margins and, and how much it would actually uh, end up costing you. If, even if it converts in, in the moment, it ends up costing in the long run. Yeah, I think it's more of the first where we are more so we, we don't want people to only buy because it's a sale. Um, whereas, you know, when it's not a sale brand, you kind of get that consistent flow of customers. You kind of understand, you know, what revenue goals you have to hit. But also when those sales do come, you have an amazing sale and you're prepared for those sales. The worst thing that can happen is you buy something on sale and three months later is when you receive the product. So when we typically when we do have sales, um, those are huge 
days for us. Um, so we want to be prepared for that. But I believe that if we had sales like every week or so, we wouldn't have that same type of demand when a sale does happen. Um, also, with any sale, you know, your margins are not going to be the same. So that's another thing that we have to be prepared for. Like, for instance, our Black Friday sale, um, we always make six figures on that sale date. So that means everything that we have to do in order to uh, make up for the margin that's missed, we have to make sure that um, we're making up for it. So we have to communicate with our uh, with UPS to let them know, hey, you know, there's going to be a high demand. You know, can we get a good rate at this time? We have to make sure packaging equipment is cheaper. We have to um, do bigger purchase orders so that we could get the um, stuff at a lower price. So we do kind of miss the margin a little bit, but we're not going to be at a bad place if we have a sale like that. Yeah. And, and that's one thing for the audience to take away too, is um, just keep in mind how a, a consumer sees you and how that's going to affect when they'll convert and when not they'll convert. And it's, and, and I appreciate that while you're not running uh, too many sales that's the ones you do run are significant and and it, and it feels like that this actually is a sale because i will say i've bought plenty of things and oftentimes i see oh you're on sale are you yeah okay all right i come back a week later oh you're on sale are you oh i see it's it, it's oh i oh it's the it's the summer of the eternal equinox sale oh yes of course yes i'm a big fan <laughs> of that of that calendar date okay all yeah, right, and sometimes you. that 30% off might not even be good enough for you to want to buy because when they had the summer equinox sale, it was 50% off. We're closing in on uh, on the hour mark. And and I got to say, you've given us a, a lot of uh, really great insights into this, um, a, a lot of takeaways. Um, there's one here uh, I wanted to ask as well, because I, I, I looked at your interview on, uh, on Naturally Curly. And uh, one piece of advice that you give is to focus on learning all the aspects of the business before uh, proceeding with it. Uh, now I will say, uh, just so our audience understands, we've had, we, we, I think this is like the 80th person I've talked to. I don't know by about the 50th interview, I've uh, lost count, but we definitely have a lot of different uh, opinions on this. We have the, the jump in and learn as you go school of hard knocks opinion. We have the train before you go opinion. We have, um, people who are, who are balanced. We have, I mean, there's there's ones that I'm not thinking at the top of my head, but there's certainly like a wide array of, of them. And so I definitely wanted to get your take on how uh, this goes. But I wanted to uh, specify it because I know you have you have a business degree and and you did go to school for it. So what I'm wondering about is like what. And school didn't give you everything you needed to know uh, to do what you're doing today. But what did you have to learn on your own versus what uh, did school prepare you for? So school didn't really teach me anything about running a business. Um, it'll probably reveal my age, but I uh, graduated from school in 2007. I'm 2009, so we're not far off. Okay. <laughs> so uh, in 2007, there was no courses on email marketing, social media marketing, um, psychology of a online consumer. There were none of these type of courses at that time. So a lot of that stuff I had to learn on my own. And, and you asked me what approaches it. Um, is it kind of the train before I learn? Because it was a, a hobby for me. Um, it wasn't a perfect moment. Like some people build up this perfect moment. But for me, it wasn't a perfect moment. It was a, I would say one year, our business did not do good. And that was because we hired out so many people that um, were experts that really weren't experts. Um, and not to bash those people, I had to take accountability for my hiring practices. I had to take accountability that I hired people to manage Facebook ads or to manage email campaigns, to manage social media, to manage all of these aspects of my business. And I wasn't growing in that area as an entrepreneur. So 
after that year, um, you know, I let those people go and I really invested the the money that I was going to invest in other people. I invested that in myself. Um, So I learned how to do Facebook marketing. Um, I went to different events. Um, I went to different Shopify events. I went to different Klaviyo events. And now I know everything to look for. Um, I'm actually about to start hiring out on my Facebook ads, but I learned how to do my own ads. I learned how to do my own email marketing, my own flows and things like that. Um, But, you know, I think the approach is based on the person. Me personally, I, based on some of my mistakes, um, the best advice I would give is to really take your time and learn and not just, you know, learn on YouTube, go out there, go to seminars, go to events, go to three or four day long events where they're going to provide you with valuable information um, so that you can grow as an entrepreneur. But now if I hire someone, I already know the red flags to look for. Yeah. And and you and you know what, because um, having done it yourself, you, you're hiring somebody. Okay. Now, not only do do you know whether or not they're skilled at it, but you also know how to guide them and how to make sure that they're doing the job in the way that you see fit. Uh, so Kia, that's, uh, that's everything that I, uh, that I had. Um, and I will, and I will say it was, it was quite a bit, um, uh, definitely a lot to take in. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to cap off. This is nothing to do with anything else that we've talked about, but, uh, cause I know that you said you, you went vegan and, uh, between uh, my dietary restrictions and my girlfriend dietary restrictions, we, run into a lot somehow steak managed to, to to pass both of our muster so that's i i, I am an omnivore but uh i i would like to know just some of the uh the vegan recipes that you do like what typically you do for breakfast lunch and dinner um breakfast you see what i was eating i ate fruits honestly my diet could be a whole lot better <laughs> um since i moved to this warehouse it's not in like our other warehouse was like in a more trendy um, city area. So I um, had all the good spots. Like I would eat a green juice every day, eat avocado toast. Um, But now that I'm responsible for my own own food, I eat a lot of fruits for breakfast. Um, Lunch is always leftovers from the day before or Uber Eats. Honestly, Uber Eats has a really good um, filter where you can just put vegan Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then dinner, my family is not vegan. So for example, tonight is taco Tuesday and everything in the taco is the same, but the protein. So they're going to have chicken and I'm going to have, I think tonight I'm going to do chickpeas instead. Um, but we pretty much eat the same. It's just about switching out the proteins. Have you ever tried um, uh, TVP? What's that? No. Okay. Well, I, here in Toronto, we have the uh, we, we have the hipster nexus called Kensington Market, uh, and uh, there was a burrito place. It was all it was all vegan, and it was mm-hmm. called a textured vegan protein. Oh. Uh, it was just, it was an attempt to try to get it's as close like to the, meat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the fake meat. It's something about the texture that I can't. It's the texture. Yeah, I I don't know. I always like them when I first eat them, and then like I'll I'll eat it again, and then the the spice profile starts to wear away at me. Like this is so spicy, not funny. Anyways, that's uh enough enough about that. If you ever want to come back and uh, let let us know how your uh, how your recipes have evolved, you're more than welcome to. To that, I've done a lot of interviews, and you really did your research. Like I'm really Thank impressed you. by the amount of research that you did for this interview. Um. I'm just like blown away. So you did a really good job. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and, and I will say is like, I'm, I, I'm in a media for 10 years. You know, I, I do consider myself a professional. And in fact, a few other people do too. So that helps. But when I, when I talk to my guests, I understand how valuable their time is. And it's really important to me to make sure that if I'm going to have this interview with them, I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that like this interview is some, it sets the benchmark for what they should expect out of an interview. So I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do a good job. Yeah. You did a great job. I appreciate it. Well, well, thank you so much. Even the flows of the emails of, (laughs) of uh, making sure, you know, the, the email flows from the beginning up until like the last minute, those were really good too. Yeah. 
Well, that that part's not me. That is uh, that's my boss, Ricky. He's very good at uh, at form at, at form and flow. So that that was all him. So uh, credit goes to him in that regard. But yeah, um, this this has been great. Uh, as I've said three times now, because I am keeping track. Uh, definitely a lot to take away from. Uh, and door is always open. So you know, if things come along, uh, give yourself a couple of quarters and see how things are. You want to come back and uh, let us know how things are going. More than welcome to have you back. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh, uh, I have to uh, give you our ender question, which is if you have any uh, last minute advice or any parting words you'd like to share with people, you're more than welcome to. And then let the audience know how they can uh, reach out, find your YouTube, find your store, maybe get some of that, uh, some of that, <laughs> some of that hair care product. Um, if I have any advice, I would be like, when it comes to business, just do it. If you have an idea that you want to do, just do it. Um, and it'll take off. Um, but you have to be really dedicated and consistent to everything that you do. Um, and one of the things that I wish I would have done better early on with my business is really took the time to network. So if you see someone who you really admire or if you come across people face to face, um, connect with them because connections are so valuable when you become an entrepreneur. But you guys can find me on the internet. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My personal Instagram is Kia James, K-E-Y-A, James underscore. Um, same with my YouTube channel, Kia J. Um, I do a lot of entrepreneurship videos. So if you're interested to see how my journey looks from start to finish, I definitely have a playlist that's just solely based on entrepreneurship. And you can find Taylor Beauty at Walmart stores in the U.S. or um, go to our website, taylorbeautyproducts.com. Uh, let, me, let me know when they're in Canada, by the way. <laughs> I will. All right, excellent. All right, uh, audience, uh, as always, uh, it is an honor to be able to collect and then provide this information to you. And uh, thank you once more for, for giving some of your time to us. So with that, take care and we'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>